Alright, let's be honest, death is inevitable. So, some people call me negative or just pessimistic all the time, but I like to think of myself as a futurist or a realist. Whilst death is inevitable, it can be avoided if you listen to this episode of Tez and read the article that I'm publishing alongside it. Because sooner or later, we're going to go up and out there and find our very own extraterrestrial life Or aliens are going to come crashing down from space and tell us that we're not alone in the universe. But I want you to be as prepared for that as possible mentally. As always, I'm your host, Aryan Shah, right here on Tez, the Earth Size Show. And today, you'll be diving right into my thoughts in my mind where I ponder some questions about astrobiology the basis on which we can find life elsewhere and what would happen if we were to interact with life outside of our planet. Because I'm going to be studying a science-based subject in university, I don't really like conspiracy theories or any mythological things in life. Um, But when it comes to this topic, I firmly believe that we will come across aliens within the next 1,000 years or so. And I'm not talking about green men or women. It could be even the most tiny little cell that we could find, the most basic form of life in the universe. And in this episode, I'm going to explain exactly why I think this, and I'm going to help you believe that too. Now, when someone says astrobiology, as I said before, you're probably thinking about green men and women, as we've seen in some really good movies, or some of those heptapods like we've seen in Arrival. But I think that successful astrobiology is looking out there among the stars, away from the comfort of our own planet, looking for the bare fundamentals of life as we know it. And this could mean the molecules and compounds like carbohydrates, proteins, and compounds like water as well. And these give us a sort of reliable indicator that we've potentially found some life on another planet or in another solar system. But I think if we're going to be talking about life so much, We need to just define what it is. And I think life is not something that is just straight up defined or straightforward to define, which is why there's so many different interpretations, whether it be religious, scientific, philosophical. But uh, the good thing is Carl Sagan, good old Carl Sagan, one of the most famous astronomers on Earth, he split life's definition into five key components. So at number one, we've got physiological. So life is defined as a system capable of carrying out a series of functions like eating, metabolizing, breathing, growing, moving, excreting. So basically responding to external stimuli. Now at number two, we've got metabolic, which describes all of the chemical processes that go on inside your body all the time to keep you alive and to ensure that your organs are functioning normally. So things like breathing, repairing cells and digesting food. Now, all living things metabolize. All living things metabolize. And so this is why it's included in this list. 
But at number three, we've got biochemical. And this is basically where we explore the chemical processes, again, like metabolism, that happen inside the body. And it's more to do with the nitty gritty details of the molecules and the compounds involved. So the things that happen in order for you to metabolize and to have those metabolic processes going on. So this is what happens behind the scenes. But this also involves things like DNA and how that forms and how that contributes to life and evolution on Earth as well. Because DNA, after all, is a mixture of all these different compounds and molecules that make you into you. Now at number four, we've got thermodynamics. And this is basically the combination of studying heat, work, work done that is, temperature and energy. Because all of us, in order to survive, we need to produce heat from our internal systems. Otherwise, we just wouldn't function. <laughs> we just would not function. And the laws of thermodynamics you may have heard before, they basically describe how energy in a system such as ourselves changes over time and whether our bodies and these different structures can perform certain activities in space and time. It's more on the physics side of things, in my opinion. So if you really want to get into those details, then I recommend you go off and do your own research. But that's the basis of it. And in fact, thermodynamics relates a lot to chaos theory, which is where disorder originates from order in a system. And I will definitely do an episode on this two episodes down the line. So stay tuned for that because I think it is truly mind boggling. It's literally the matrix, but in real life. Now, last but not least, we've got Darwinian or genetic. Thanks, Sagan, because it is any organism able to undergo evolution, to adapt to their surroundings and environments, and to ensure that they survive. Remember, survival of the fittest and Darwin's book on the origin of species. Those are the five key components of life that Carl Sagan explored and thought would best define this concept. Now, personally, I would actually go for biochemical, physiological, and metabolic, if I had to choose three to define life best. Because I really don't think a single one of these categories has enough weight to describe life in its entirety. So that's why I'm just choosing three. But feel free to let me know in the comments or drop me an email about what your definition of life would be out of these options. I'm really interested to see what you guys think. But you're still probably wondering, why is this guy telling me about the definition of life? Well, I think it's handy having this list in our brains so that we know what to look for on other worlds in the cosmos if we go exploring one day. Because it's just the fundamentals of life that we've seen here. And the probability that this will be seen somewhere else is very high. And I'll explain that in a little moment. But what if life elsewhere, get this, what if life elsewhere does not fall into this dogma, into any of these categories, then what? That is one of those critical questions that I hope we'll be able to answer in the future. Because even though I think it's quite likely that life will be similar to ours, it will be complex, um, similar to what we have here on Earth, I think that there is a small chance that it may be completely different in a different solar system on a different planet. 
wherever else in the universe. So, just like Microsoft, I'm all about the basics. And you'll find that because of the Big Bang, most of the basic elements that we have in our table, so things like hydrogen, carbon, helium, nitrogen, they make up the most basic, I said basic again, there you go, most basic compounds and molecules that are the basis of life on Earth. Again, it's all about the basics. So much of these common elements and basic life-supporting molecules and compounds like uh, amino acids, those make proteins, nucleic acids, that makes DNA, carbohydrates and lipids, so fats and, and sugar, they can all be found on a specific type of asteroid. These are the oldest asteroids in our universe, the carbonaceous chondrites. It's a mouthful. We can just call them C-type asteroids if you want. But they travel millions and millions of light years through loads of different solar systems across the universe. Now, this is exactly what I was getting to. The reason I believe that life's origin started with asteroids and meteorites. Because I really believe that life on Earth started because an asteroid with these key components that I just talked about came crashing down to Earth and the conditions were just right here on this planet. And then life started just like that with photosynthetic bacteria or a different type of single-celled organism. But then doesn't this mean that life is almost certainly guaranteed elsewhere in the galaxy and the wider universe? And that is because, as I said, these elements are so common and asteroids are everywhere because of the Big Bang. They are absolutely everywhere. And if such common elements could come to our planet, who's to say that they haven't gone to another planet and started life the exact same way? The exact same way. Who is to say that that has not happened? I think that's just a mind-boggling thing to think about. So, life on Earth... It started from far-travelling asteroids, that's what I believe. And so there's a high probability of life elsewhere because of the asteroids and these elements. That's just, I just said that so it solidifies in your mind just how crazy that is. And if you think I'm just some crazy guy talking about asteroids for no reason, well you might be wrong because in the 50s there were some experiments called the Miller-Urey experiments that were done to test the conversion of simple inorganic compounds found on asteroids and meteorites, there you go, into organic ones, complex ones. And they did this through lab simulated experiments and they created a false atmosphere, one that was pretty accurate and similar to the atmosphere that we would have had billions of years ago when these elements and compounds and molecules came crashing down to earth and so they simulated that and it, they produced 20 different types of amino acid in the end after rigorous testing and discharging these compounds electronically these inorganic compounds and they tested them against things like ammonia methane water vapor and hydrogen gas these are the things that would have been in the atmosphere at the time when these asteroids would have come crashing down and although after the experiments were finished, it was later discovered that volcanic eruptions about 4 billion years ago, 
they were so frequent and so probably putting carbon dioxide in the mix of those gases would have been really helpful to make this as accurate as possible. Carbon dioxide and sulfur dioxide, I forgot to mention. And so you'd probably get loads of varieties of organic compounds formed. But what this experiment really shows you is that Earth it is totally viable. The entire scenario is totally viable and possible that life started on Earth because of asteroids, meteorites, and them surviving prehistoric atmospheric entry. That is just crazy, in my opinion. How can they, those molecules and compounds, survive the rigorous testing of the atmosphere, if you will? That is crazy, in my opinion. So there you have it. There is actually evidence for what I'm saying about the origin of life on Earth. Now, I know I've talked about the origin of life on Earth for a while now in this episode, but it's because I want you to think about the probability of there being life elsewhere using the same elements and components that started life on Earth. So first, you need to talk about life, what it is. You need to talk about how life started and how and why. And then only then can you think about what to look for on a different planet. Now we know that life most likely started because of the reasons I talked about through asteroids. We can look for that evidence elsewhere. And it will make our search for extraterrestrial life much more specialised and definite. So it just makes our jobs easier, really. So now that we've got that cleared out, perfectly ironed out, there is one thing that I want you to think about. And I want you to think I want you to think really hard about it. So say we find extraterrestrial life elsewhere. There must be some ethical questions to address, right? You can't just pull up, say hey, and just interfere, contaminate, all that kind of stuff. That's just not right. So we have to think whose jurisdiction is it on that planet? Because of course, different countries will be competing, will be racing against time to find life in space. Countries like China, India, America, the, the ESA, which is culmination of European countries, and Russia as well, all of the big players in the space race. What about the cultural questions, the religious questions? the political ones, the economic ones. These are all things we have to consider if you want to go out there, find life and interact with it. Now, I know I'm talking many, many years in the future, but I think we've just got to prepare ourselves for it. We just got to understand what's involved before we just jump right in and regret it. So do we interfere with their home? Do we have a right to do that? Whether they're single-celled and don't understand what's going on, or whether they're complex life and more intelligent than us, we need to get our priorities in check and think, okay, we should probably observe from a safe distance. Now, we've really screwed up our planet, okay, by interfering and being very intrusive of the many species here and their habitats. We've caused many animals and microorganisms to go extinct in our time here, and we've only been here for a few million years. That's really sad in my opinion. And we've got to think about, would we be interfering with their home planet or their lives anthropocentrically, so for the benefit of humankind only? That is something you've got to think about. Is it for scientific purposes or is it for commercial purposes that we're going to be interacting? We don't know right now and that is why I'm asking you to think about this. What would you want to do if you came into contact with extraterrestrial life or they came to our planet for some reason? 
Now I'll tell you one thing, not everybody's going to agree with how we interact or meet extraterrestrial life or even think about it. So religion is still as important as it was 200 years ago and many believe that God only allowed life to flourish and it to be made on one planet which is earth and that humans are the most superior to other animals. There are different religions and different beliefs but that's the general consensus. And so discovering other planets that host life might go against some religious theories. Now, I'm not naming and shaming, but that's just what I think. And Carl Sagan, again, in his book, The Cosmic Question, he says, very well, space exploration leads directly to religious and philosophical questions. And that is what I've been talking about for the past few minutes. And we need to consider whether our faiths would accommodate these new beings is there room for them in the philosophy of these already existing religions or would it shake our beliefs we don't know so yeah please do let me know in the comments or drop me an email what you think would happen if we found extraterrestrial life what do you think would be the religious clash or the economic clash just let me know i'm really interested to see and hear about what you guys think would happen it's great to have other opinions on this kind of stuff but one final thing which i think is important to think about when comprehending interacting with another life form in our cosmos is is it worth saving our planet because if a door has just opened up up there for us to explore, for us to leave Earth and live somewhere else because a planet's just become habitable or we found life and we want to leave the solar system and go and chill out with them, do you think it is worth saving our planet and all the species that live on it apart from us? Should we care as much? Well, I think yes and no, because if we leave Earth and there's no point in saving it. Uh, because we've already destroyed it to the point that it's uninhabitable for us. The environment's not going to do us any good. Um, we won't be there to pollute it anymore, to screw it up, to mess it up. So there's no point saving it, really, if we're just going to up and go. But what if we use Earth as a farm? What if we extract all the minerals, materials, metals, everything that we need and take it with us in space. That would take a long time, granted, yes, but it would be worth it for our civilization. Again, that's anthropocentric thinking right there for our benefit. But then that might mean that there's nothing else left for future intelligent life on Earth to use if it were to evolve. But then would we be sending the innocent, already existing species there into decline and extinction by extracting materials, by leaving? Well, maybe, but we there's no way for us to predict that. But then we could just pull a Noah's Ark kind of scenario and take one of each species. But we know that's not possible. Well, I don't think it's possible in my opinion. But wait a minute. I don't want to give too much away before the next article or episode because I will hopefully be discussing whether or not we should leave Earth, the pros and cons, all that kind of stuff. I think it's really interesting and it's worth a listen um, in this new thought series of podcast episodes where they're shorter than normal episodes and it's just a few of my thoughts that I've had on, on walks or just random 
times of the day. So this episode really is just a culmination of a few things I've been thinking about for a while now. I just needed to get it out there to the world. So I will leave you with that, everybody. I'll leave you with that. So I hope you enjoyed that episode and feel free to drop me an email, comment, connect on LinkedIn, whatever you want to do and tell me about what you think and especially if you have any answers to those questions that I had for you guys. So yeah, I'll leave you to ponder those questions and think about what would you what you would do if you were heading a division or or tasked with handling such a situation. It's a crazy one, I know, but I hope you have a good think about that and you think really hard about those questions I posed, philosophical and scientific. Join me next time as we continue our journey to explore the most pressing questions and issues of our very own planet Earth. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on any streaming platform. I'm Arin Shah and you're listening to The Earth Side Show.